Welcome, everyone, to an impromptu live episode of Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. Please like, subscribe, follow us on YouTube at Unsafe Space. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Unsafe Space Co. That's C-O. And you can go to unsafespace.co. It's not .com, it's .co. The M stands for Marxism, so we have none of that here. It's just unsafespace.co. Um, and I'm joined today by... Uh, well, so we're going to talk today about the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez new Green New Deal. And I'm joined today by a guy who gives me hope for millennials, uh, which is good. Um, his name is Lou Cirillo. He's a computer and electrical engineer with a specialty in products design and power systems relevant to this new Green Deal, our Green New Deal. Uh, he previously spent two years developing power grid management technology and grid infrastructure, and he's currently running a company that uses high-voltage uh, electronics in consumer products. So, Lou, uh, let me pull you up here. Welcome to the show, Lou. Oh, thanks for having me, Carter. Thanks for thanks for coming by. So, um, so Lou, <sighs> I don't I don't know where to start. I maybe I should start by saying uh, if you haven't seen so. Ocasio-Cortez, she released this new Green Deal um, FAQ. Now, she's actually taken it down from her website since it was released. Probably, I guess that's a good sign. It means she can be embarrassed by something. <laughs> she um, definitely should be pretty embarrassed by that. That's for sure. Yeah. So, well, I so I take it as a good sign. So it's not just her, by the way. I don't want to just throw her under the bus. Uh, also, Senator Ed Markey uh, from Massachusetts. So everyone in Massachusetts is responsible for this. Uh, or at least for the people who voted for Ed Markey, um, not just the people in Ocasio-Cortez's district in New York. And um, yeah, so this is, she calls it a Green New Deal. Um, they're going to begin work immediately on this Green New Deal. And she's got this little, this is my notes are on this one, but she's got this little outline of, of what her Green New Deal is. And I, you know, I read it and um, I want to say there's a, I never wanted to be a junior high school teacher specifically because I didn't want to have to read stuff like this. Um, I don't know. I don't even almost know where to start, Lou. Uh, uh, got a couple it, ideas. This is a mess. Um, <laughs> let, let's just, uh, let me just read one high level summary of what her green new deal is. Uh, she will, um, this is, I'm, I'm quoting verbatim here. She's going to build on FDR's second Bill of Rights by guaranteeing. So I'm going to read you a list of guarantees that she's going to do. Um, everyone's going to have a job with a family-sustaining wage, family and medical leave, vacations and retirement security, high-quality education, including higher education and trade schools, clean air and water and access to nature, healthy healthy food, uh, high-quality health care. By the way, I think it's funny because we don't really know even what healthy food is. Uh, nutrition science is, is pretty nascent. Uh, High-quality health care, safe, affordable, adequate housing, economic environment free of monopolies, economic security, except for the government monopoly, economic security for all who are unable, and this is my favorite part, economic security for all who are unable or unwilling to work. So um, she can sign me up for that. Um, so that's those are the, the Bill of Rights. and But overall, the plan will move America to 100% clean and renewable energy. Create millions of jobs, blah blah blah. Ensure just—I don't ensure justice and social justice crap. But the the main thing is, it's going to move. We're going to be 100% clean and renewable energy in 10 years. It's a 10-year plan. Um, 
and uh, and she's there's no time to waste. She says. Uh, all right, Lou. Oh, and yeah, uh, no. so later on, wait, wait, later on, she says this plan. Uh, this this is gonna uh, build that new economy, and it's gonna spell out how to do it technically. So, Lou, uh, you know you yeah. You've built smart you know, grids my, before. Tell us. Uh... You know, my my favorite thing about this is that, is that they kind of bundled everything to one. And the idea about actually green energy, clean technology, all of that has almost nothing to do with education and everything else. So, I mean, just separating them out, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, if she talks about a Green New Deal, let's talk about let's talk about energy and let's talk about what you can actually do. I think that's one of the yeah. things that people are missing on from the day to day, right? Like, okay, so we've been spouted a lot of, you know, terror and frankly, BS on all different sides of climate change, environmental regulations. And the reality is that like, okay, well, let's, let's quantify it. What does it actually mean? And I kind of came up, you know, did a lot of research and said, whether you believe climate change or not, I think both Carter, you and I, and most people would agree, like, let's have a clean environment. That sounds pretty good. I like free space without trash sure. and, you know, no, no pollution. Likes, uh, poison water. Yeah, that's those are great things. Unless you so, like wind energy, like we can get into that later. But uh... yeah, um, we <laughs> will get into that later. So <laughs> if that's kind of the thing, like it comes down to a couple of simple, simple things that we have to do. And there isn't a lot of terror about it. Um, first off, one, regardless of whether you believe in climate change or not, cutting down fossil fuel use does you know, remove greenhouse gases. That is kind of a fact. Um, the United States has done very well at implementing very clean burning cars compared to other places like China and India. Um, the second thing we can do as well in this area is look at how we're generating energy. So we do use a lot of combustion-based um, facilities here in the United States. I think over 70% of our national energy production is from some form of coal or natural gas. Uh, predominantly, I think here in Colorado, it's about 70% um, as well between natural gas and coal predominantly. And then kind of the uh, the last thing is, you know, what's also not talked about is sanctions against countries that do pollute um, massively. And, you know, that's one of those other areas that we have to clean up as well. So, you know, just us as the Americans doing it, we'll take a lead. But if we can't get everybody else to really drastically change it, it's also not going to happen. And yeah, don't kill baby seals by putting plastic in the ocean. Like that's so simple, but it all doesn't have to be about converting the entire uh, grid to a national energy grid over 10 years. Um, there's a lot of stuff we can do to really fix it. That are practical yeah, I mean, as well. I, 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 for me, there's a couple of things. I mean, I, I want to get into the details, but we, we've kind of started off at a high level too. So let's like stay at a high level for a minute. Cause there's a couple of things to address there, Lou. Um, one of the things that strikes me, and I'm not the only person to talk about this, is, um, you know, if you're worried about things like carbon emissions, and again, I don't actually want to get into a debate about uh, whether, you know, how much of climate change is real or not and man-made, like, we can accept all of the uh, all of the kind of mainstream uh, arguments on that for the purpose of this discussion, and it, it's fine. Yeah, so, it really doesn't matter. Um, right. So, um, but if you care about things like like carbon emissions, to me, the, the question would be to ask, like, well, why, why do we have such high carbon emissions? And one of the obvious answers from, and again, we're looking at like a, a macroeconomic level, a macro, like a, a national or international level. We're looking at, at big picture stuff. Why do humans consume so much? Why do we burn so much fossil fuels? Why do we have so many cars? Why do we, why do, we do this? Well, 
in the U.S., um, we overconsume. Well, gee, why do we overconsume? Uh, why do we consume so much, Lou? What allows us to consume so much? Why does the U.S. spend so much money? What what allows yeah. us to do that? Well, our debt. <laughs> like we print money, we borrow from our children's future. Uh, our national debt is $21 trillion. I think unfunded liabilities are something like five times that. So you can add those together if you want. Uh, our, we have roughly an $867 billion debt every year. Um, and, you know, AOC talks about, she cites examples of great projects in the past by by um, by the government. And she one of the ones she cites is the interstate highway system. Well... We we may all like it, but why the hell do you think there's so many fucking cars on the road? Oh wait, I was gonna stop. I was gonna try and stop swearing on these episodes. Smack no, me if okay. I swear. Um, no, no, it's all but, right. You know, Actually, we have yeah. all these cars because of the interstate highway system, and we do all this overconsuming. And it's funny. It's it's not funny. It's revealing to me that whenever the leftists talk about carbon emissions, they never say, "Hey, let's stop spending. Let's pay off some debt. Let's have austerity measures." Let's. It's always more government, more control, more spending, bigger things. And, and, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in here admits, basically, she's like, oh, well, we're just going to print money. That's, we're just going to spend money we don't have. That's overconsumption. That's what got us into this problem in the first place. What are you, that's my rant, Lou. I mean, didn't I, plan I, I, no, no, that's quite all right. I actually, I kind of agree in, in some ways. I also think the, you know, there's two ways that I, I look at this. One is, Government subsidies do actually affect um, the energy prices significantly. And when energy is cheap, we, you're right, we will consume more of it. Um, I think that is one of the things that the American people want is cheap and reliable energy in all different forms, whether it's fuel, whether it's electricity, whatever else it is. And if the government is subsidizing it, then there's no free market will that will cause us to develop more energy efficient appliance or change our lifestyles. Why would we? You know, right. I mean, I was just saying to you earlier that if they actually didn't reduce the subsidies that they were putting in California, where the energy is already 20 some odd cents, uh, you know, 24 cents a kilowatt hour, and they actually were probably forced to build in all of their like, you know, the subsidies they did for the green energy they produce, you know, we'd probably see two to three X on our rates. And I'll tell you that would actually, that would shift the market and that would do it, but we are subsidizing the heck out of very expensive energy realistically. The second thing is, I also think what most people don't talk about and what most people aren't necessarily willing to give up is, you know, we do have a benefit from the energy that's been spent, right? Like the human condition as a whole philosophically has been improved by our invention of things that do, frankly, use fossil fuels, um, electricity, vehicles, the fact that you can get an ambulance to arrive at your house in five minutes if it's gone. Refrigeration refrigeration yeah which all was developed obviously with, with uh, cfcs and you know you know toxic chemicals but because but of also those needs things, energy we, yeah. yeah we live better we're able to farm more right like you know so we want more fruits and vegetables and everything else so, you know bigger machines that run off of fossil fuels and frankly it's because that's the highest energy density at the lowest cost yeah so there's a lot of main reasons for that I, i'd say you know if we wanted to really change as a society we first have to unblock the subsidies that were there and then let the market adjust accordingly. I mean, that's why you see so many eco vehicles over in Europe, their cost of energy is high and people compensate for it. The market compensates. Yeah. I think you're bringing up some really uh, fundamental 
points here and and they're good points and I want to pause on it for a minute because um, I think when we talk about environmentalism or impact on the environment, um, I think people often fail to distinguish um, well they they often really fail to clearly define what their goal is, right Your goal could be that you want an environment that's good for humans, right and then you know the truth is nature is not good for humans. it's not kind to humans in any way. It's a pretty crappy place. It's there's lots of disease and fossil fuels are one of those things of the burning of fossil fuels and and cheap energy is one of those things that lifts the standard of living for um for everyone. And in the US we can look at at fossil fuels and they seem dirty and bad, but if you're poor in Africa and can't afford um refrigeration or the hospital can't have power, like fossil fuels are lifesavers. Yeah. Um, actually Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, because I actually did a lot of my uh, grid work when I was starting out in Haiti. So we did uh, off-grid micro uh, microgrids that were actually built like a full United States size power grid running 120 volt power. And I designed the metering systems and a few other things around it. And yeah, I mean, traveling to places like that, you know, energy is the key, right? And people will consume energy in one form or the other. They like to burn uh, coal or char what they called charbon out there, which is like effectively charcoal from sticks that they would create. Um, it's very dirty. It's very polluted. And right. or and lamp people oil. Die. And I just want to be yeah. clear. People die from not having uh, enough energy and from burning things like that in their houses and, instead of having an electrical uh, electricity plant burning fossil fuels somewhere else. So, yeah, here actually give you a couple of interesting numbers, right? So when we were down there, we did an analysis looking at lamp oil and coal um, for, you know, heat, uh, not for heat, but more so for cooking and everything else, right? If you were going to take the amount of, you know, coal, whatever else it is to cook or boil a pot of water, the roughly, the rough cost down there comes to about $9 a kilowatt hour is the equivalent wow. um, energy cost. It is massively high when you're looking at petroleum fuels or anything else that you have to scrounge. For comparison, California is very expensive in the U S and it's about 23 cents a kilowatt hour. Right. So yeah, but here's, here's the thing. So here's the thing. Um, hybrid solar diesel system that was implemented down there for, you know, let's say even the bigger clients who use the most energy had the lowest rates, right. That we had, there was still 55, 60 cents per kilowatt hour that we had to charge them just, well, one, maybe we weren't achieving quite quantities of scale, but we also were implementing, you know, solar and renewables, which are very expensive, especially when you have to counter, you know, the uh, the demand on the grid. And that's actually one of the real big challenges that I don't think uh, ARC and half those people really think about is how can we design a grid that is truly sustainable? And how can we even manage a system um, that would work fundamentally? You know, and I think your point about goals was right. And what is a goal? Now, if somebody right. from their policy said, hey, look, you know, let's let's make it so that every year we're reducing our carbon emissions by 5% from, let's say, from energy use, right? So we're going to slowly wean ourselves off coal and oil, which would actually be a good thing because probably uh, may, maybe gas prices would go down. That would be nice. Um, anyway, but <laughs> let's just say we did that. There are a lot of steps that you can take that don't necessarily involve, you know, going ham crazy on on policies like that. If you made very sensible reductions, you could look at exactly the numbers of carbon output from different facilities and plants, design more efficient ones, and bring it down over time. Yeah, and, you know, this this idea of what your goal is, right? I mean, 
I think it also it also used to, there's a lot of not looking at hidden costs, right? Um, or, 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 or current benefits of things, right? There's a lot of like, well, we don't like the dirty fossil fuels because of climate change. Therefore, we have to do X, Y, and Z without really seeing what the hidden cost uh, is in doing that. And, you know, if your goal is a better environment for humans, then you start doing um, cost benefit analysis better. And you start to say, okay, well, just to, let's take climate change as an example. Okay, uh, it would cost some amount, let's say, to deal with it. And let's say AOC's plan deals with climate change completely, which I, I, know, I know it doesn't. But even by her own admission, we're talking, you know, trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. I mean, she, she makes some statement about even if all of the billionaires and companies put all of the resources into it, it wouldn't be enough. For, I mean, like, it's a lot of money yeah. she's talking about, right? Um, well, she's, okay, she's, well, talking you, about, she's talking about trillions of dollars. And I think the... You know, the other thing there, too, is it's just here's let's look at the argument right on their side. They're not going to look at the cost and they just say, well, figure it out. It's just morally right that we need to save the environment come hell or high water. And I think actually the part where they're making a mistake in the morals aspect is that it's morally right that our country has a functioning economy, because if that's not there, then the entire place is ruined. You well, know, so that's we may we point, may save right? the client. We may save something in the climate. We don't know what but we'll have done it at the cost of our country. Well, and so that's kind of my point. Like if your goal is, is human flourishing, which I think is the moral goal here, right? Then you do this cost benefit analysis and your, your answer for dealing with climate change. And I hate to say this, but the answer might be like, meh, it'll impact us. Well, maybe temperatures will go up by a few degrees and we'll have to move some things and change some stuff and develop some technology to, to maybe, uh, you know, well, actually, and after the fact, scrub the atmosphere or whatever. But that might be a better use of resources and money if your goal is human flourishing than to try and massively change the fact that we're relying on fossil fuels. And, and there's 7.7 billion people on the planet who are basically, you know, relying on this. And But if your goal is to preserve things, which and I think this is the goal and I think people don't tease this goal out. They they have a goal of like preserving things like there's some um like there's something religious about the way things are right now. And it's like, well, we need to preserve the environment in the way it is. And the truth is well, the environment certainly doesn't is want to preserve the economy. That's for sure. Right. But, the, <laughs> but they, but there's this worship of nature. Like, well, we have to preserve things the way they are now. Right. And I, I just want to point out though, that, that that's also meaningless. I, I ran some, like I looked at some numbers really quickly, Lou, 500 years ago, there was about 461 million people on the planet. So what does preserving the way the planet looks like? Does that like do we have to kill what roughly 7.3 billion people to get back to that? Is that the right balance of humans versus nature? Or do we look at the balance from 1900 when there are about 1.65 billion people? Then we have to kill 6 billion people to get there. And this idea that like there's some um there's some optimal optimal balance that some central planner should decide on. Like this is this is what should be we should keep nature the way it is exactly right now. Um, is is arbitrary and silly. And the goal really should be human flourishing. And as far as I'm concerned, like if if the planet looks much different in a hundred years, but we've got people are healthy and happy and flourishing as humans, and we're off you know exploring other planets or whatever, then then great. So things look different. Who cares? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think, you know, one of the things, too, is we often associate the change with a lot of negative things, right? So one way or the other, like, let's just say, and on, on any of these implementations, let's say you have to spend a trillion dollars, let's just say you're going to spend a trillion dollars or some arbitrary amount of money. 
Mm -hmm. You can either spend it to fight it, which there's a lot of data that is suggesting at this very moment that as much money as we pour into it, we can only staunch the flow for so long. Like this, there's somewhat of an inevitability about what, what might happen, right? Whether yeah. it's 10 years, 20 years, who, who cares at this point? The reality is that instead of wasting that money trying to staunch the flow of it, you can also use it to change the way that you're doing things. If it becomes warmer, right? Lands that were currently frozen and unable to bear, bear crops will now be able to do so. Right. Like, right. so there is, there is a counterbalance and a trillion dollars spent to relocate, you know, perhaps part of a seaward facing city a little bit or build levees or dams to adjust for the, the tidal inflation could be a very viable option and probably cost less, act, less actually. Right. And so it I can only, and it can be spent efficiently because you only start doing it when it's necessary. So there's some uncertainty about what exactly is going to happen in the future. And when you spend the money when it happens and you need to deal with it, and then you're only spending money on the problems that actually occur as they occur to the extent that you need them. That is true. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I actually, you know, I'm one of those guys who at the same time, like I love to go skiing. I wish snow will stay here in the Colorado Rockies for decades, decades upon decades so that my children one day could ski. Um, But, you know, at the same time, I also hope that they'll have the same economic opportunities, the ability to create businesses, the ability to design products and, you know, be here. And frankly, you know, uh, Maybe there's a move to Canada for skiing. Who knows? <laughs> right. And that's the other thing, right? Like you said, there's all these, there's a large portion of the world that is uh, on air. The land's not arable. Um, it's uninhabitable. And who's to say that a couple degree increase isn't bad or isn't good. I mean, it, it, it could be. And I, I know there's negative effects. I'm not, I'm not trying to just say there's no negative effects, but there's no, this isn't a rational, um, we don't seem to be having a rational debate about like, look, this is what we think is going to happen. Um, here, here would the impact here. This is what the impacts would be both positive and negative impacts. What's the best way to really deal with it. Maybe if we want to take corrective behavior and figure out like, how did we get here? Okay. Maybe we do that. But I think that corrective behavior is less likely to look like we need more authoritarian government control over stuff, telling people what to manufacture and probably looks less. It looks a little bit more like, uh, Hey, Let's stop overspending. Let's stop printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Let's, uh, you know, let's stop subsidizing stuff. Let's kind of let let the prices rise if they're going to rise, and and let's not try and centrally plan stuff because central planning is an is a abhorrently arrogant thing to be to be doing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think here's the other thing too. Let, I mean, like we can do an example, right? So let's you know let's look at her. Let's look at her possible. Let, let's look at her thing, right? And let's go to. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I often said, if we're going to talk about engineering, let's talk about engineering on, you know, one of her details. And we're talking about 100% renewable energy, which means more or less a uh, transfer over to electric power for just about every, well, for pretty much everything. Yep. So if we start there, you know, all right, well, let's talk about what it would cost to actually implement something like that. I mean, we've seen the studies that have gone on her Green New Deal. I've seen anywhere yep. from $28 trillion to about $38 trillion. Now, I kind of did an example. Yep. Um, and by the way, on- she just says only the – by the way, only upgrading the U.S. infrastructure is $4.6 trillion. So she's like – she's not shying away from the expense on this. She's saying it's it's pretty freaking expensive, but she's not giving us really total numbers for this whole thing, Lou. And I know yep. you ran some numbers. It would be good to to look at. But before you tell us the numbers, just give people an overview of like – what does switching to renewable mean? Because she's she does not she doesn't mean nuclear. 
so she explicitly says not nuclear. What are the major? Um, can you just walk people through yeah, like so what are the major yeah, problems so there's, or the major the, technologies? The, yeah, so the four. I mean, the four big ones, right? Are um, so you've got geothermal in there. That's not very big. It works in some areas, not in others. Uh, hydroelectric is quite big in certain areas. That's probably, you know, most of the places will have more hydroelectric right now than they will have wind or solar. And those are the other two, wind power, solar power. Um, as far as it goes, about pretty straightforward. Those are about the four. Um, I Now, hydro is also it, geographically limited, it seems like, as well, right? Um, actually, all of hydro all is very are in some way. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, usually speaking, um, I've looked at wind studies whenever we're, you know, preparing to look at placing a turbine, you know, of that nature, you need to figure out what the wind is, everything else. And actually a turbine's like, you know, that's the ex- one of the examples I prepared for today is to look at a turbine. Right? Well, so let's you know, do that. Let's look at a turbine. Let's look at replacing uh, with wind. Yeah. So most cities, everything else, if you want to have an, a typical utility grade turbine, now most of them are doing uh, turbine installs between one megawatt up to about four megawatts. It seems to be about the largest ones, but most of them are in that category at a cost of roughly 1.3 to about $2.2 million per turbine to install. Now that's going to vary depending on how costly the land is, the labor. So, you know, your more expensive labor rates like California, it's going to be more expensive to install one there than say in Nevada. Um, And here's the other thing. Those turbines, they last for about 20 years before they either need a major refit or they'll get taken down. And once again, our demand grows every year, so we're always going to have to put more in. Our U.S. demand is growing about 3.4%. And that, that study varies about what it is. It seems to be, I've seen some numbers as low as about 2% and as high as 5 But realistically, that's what you've got. So if you want to okay. put in um, some turbines, that's how they go. So here's the thing. A turbine is only so efficient. They operate best, most of them between wind speeds of about 30 and 55 miles per hour. So you need to have a place that actually can guarantee that with some level of reliability. Right now, turbines, um, and also to give you pure science, um, there's a power output formula that we calculate for these. And it it includes the air density, the sweep area, the blades, the wind speed, and all of that has to be in perfect alignment to really get peak efficiency. Right now, we're about 30 to about 50% best case scenario. Um, and that's at while it's running, and it doesn't factor in sometimes how long it has to run. So a typical, to give you a comparison, that a three megawatt turbine we would go after, if you ran it at the best efficiency, 50%, and you got 12 hours a day of running, is going to generate you 18 megawatt hours per day pretty okay. sufficient. Um, a state like Colorado, uh, which has 5.9 million people, consumes 4.3 million megawatt hours of energy. I believe that I believe that study came monthly. I'll have to redouble check it. But okay. If you were going to take so that wait, map, so you Hold on. Say how, how many people did you say it was? 5.9 million. 5.9 million. And what there's what? Uh, roughly 300 million in the US? Yes. Is that right? Okay, so it's yeah. it's about one fiftieth, oddly enough. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so when you actually factor in how many turbines you'd have to have with the reduction in terms of uh, you know efficiency of the turbine, the amount of wind and everything else that's there, you can't even stack turbines on one another because of the flows of the air. You'll reduce the efficiency even more. So when you think about that, to actually power the state. 
we need about 239,000 of them at okay. which would basically be about 1 trillion dollars you know to implement okay so which, that's a trillion yeah. dollars for colorado and and as you pointed out before the show that doesn't include replacing for gas power cuz a lot of gas no, is used that, a lot this is just the electricity yeah yeah, so that's the other thing. And even big states like California and everything else, gas is is one of the primary elements for heating. It's one of, and then so this was just on the electric loads. So there's a major amount of energy that needs to be consumed for. And the other thing when you're designing renewable grids is demand. Right? Demand times you might have a peak demand for energy, but you might have low supply. All the it's going to line up. It's not like, hey, every day at five o'clock we're gonna have more wind than the other guy. It might happen in one area, but not another. So right. the problem is that you're left with two choices. Either you have to find ways to store enough energy, which is very expensive, or you have to have other things that can fill in the gap, which is traditionally in most of the hybrid systems, that's where your, you know, your fuels come into play is they actually bridge the gap when you're not producing enough fat and they go on and off very easily, which right. is good. So, I mean, just kind of, that's, that's a small example, right? We need a lot of wind turbines and that doesn't address the demand issues. Right. Which, so, which, which are huge issues, right? Because, uh, no one just, no one just replaces, uh, their power with wind and doesn't do anything else. They've, you've got to have, like, yeah, that's not exactly. sufficient, right? It's, you've got to either have all these batteries or, which is inefficient or something else to take over. Um, yeah. And that's the other thing too is batteries, you know, lithium ions for like the, you know, let's look at the, you know, the Tesla power walls, right? If you install one of those on a house, they're saying that the life cycle of those 10 years. Yeah. Right. So you'd have to replace them twice every 10 years. And we're also have to account for growth in the amount of energy used, unless of course, you're willing to let the power cost rise and hopefully push everybody down on energy consumption. Right. So you got to balance it out there. Now, I mean, here's the sol- now here is the solution. If we are looking at this and we are saying we want to do better for the environment by cutting down, you know, carbon, um, which is effectively the main that's mainly what we'd have to do, right? Reduce carbon. Reducing carbon is right. something that we've all agreed. Good. If you were going to do that, there's only one other energy source that does not produce carbon. Oh, good, because but... you're going to bring up what I was going to ask about, Luke. Yes, Go ahead. Is going what is this be... magical energy source? I've yes, I've not it... heard of it. It is going to be nuclear power. <laughs> and, you know, that is one of the dominant sources, obviously, over in Europe. But nuclear power is by far the one that actually does not, comparatively, the pollutive content that comes out versus, you know, the air versus trapped in a little container. Nuclear power is by far the best way to achieve the goals. If the goal is carbon reduction and increasing, you know, I think you can do both. I think there's nothing wrong with having wood terms. I think there's nothing wrong with having solar but you have to have something to bridge the cap and batteries are not going to do it for you. Nuclear would. And you know, I was reading a study from 2011 uh, and I grant that's a bit older and I can tell you the cost to implement nuclear has gone up uh, relatively significantly. Um, but they were saying at the time, I believe the study said that was a 2.9 cents per kilowatt hour was their production cost you know, before you do grid transfer and all that, but the actual cost of running the facility, maintaining it, everything else, we came out to be roughly 2.9 cents per, per kilowatt hour. And you need okay. to sequester a lot less land from the Native Americans to do this. That's pretty cheap, though, comparatively. Um, yeah, it is. Now, I, I do you know why she's not... I mean, she explicitly says somewhere in here... Um, 
we're not going to do this through nuclear. Uh, this does not include creating new nuclear plants. Um, it's unclear whether we'll be able to decommission every nuclear plant within 10 years, but the plan is to transition, transition off of nuclear and all fossil fuels as soon as possible. Um, the fact that she wants to do this in 10 years is also, I honestly, I feel like this is a, yeah, I don't even know what this, it's, it's like a bad Disney movie. Um, well, look, I mean, let's, let's put it this way. If you were go, let's say we did that. Let's just say all the fuel energy production things were gone in 10 years. Yep. Let's, let's imagine what that would have to look like for us. Right. One, if you were going to take a, an apartment, like the one we had in, in San Francisco, you know, we were spending about $75 a month on energy. Now, let's imagine that energy is now intermittent. We saw this in Haiti. They only ran the nationalized energy grid for six hours a day. Now, they did that because the country was broke and they couldn't physically pay to buy the, the generation. But it, regarding that, you have energy for six hours a day. So what you would need to do is you would have peak demands during the day and everybody would have to install some level of lithium-ion batteries or energy storage system on their home or, you know, locally or anything else in order to like even make that possible. That's one way this could look, right? Either yep. Lou? Uh-oh. Lou, you froze. I think Lou froze. Just hello, I'm still here. Oh, there you go. We lost yep. you for a sec, but you're Are we back. back. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. Anyway. So the whole point is everybody would have to store energy in some form during the day for it to be used predominantly at night. You know, right. in some areas where heating and cooling is used during the day, this is going to be even harder because you're consuming so much during the day. Um, yep. So that's what you're going to have to do. The cost of your energy consumption is going to increase drastically, right? So even if your energy was still 25 cents per kilowatt hour, but then there's energy rationing and low power times, um, you're still going to have to, you know, have some of these systems. And by the time you figure how many kilowatt hours you can store, the cost to obtain and store those kilowatt hours and then reuse them later, your prices go up massively. And we really have to ask, you know, for some people, yeah, paying higher costs for energy storage and everything is, is totally fine. But I can imagine for probably 80% of Americans that seeing their utility bills or having to purchase all this additional equipment um, would be very hard. Not Absolutely. to mention if they have to personally refit their own homes for energy efficiency, you know, or anything else. That, well, I mean, she says in this 10 years, one of the things she's going to accomplish is retro. I'm, I'm quoting retrofit every building in America. That is uh, ambitious, to say the least, in, including a building smart, you know, in addition, build the smart grid, overhaul transportation and agriculture. Um, I mean, it, it's. To me, this is this is like um, the modern day communist manifesto. I, I want it, to. It's just like I'm going to do. Just trust me. I've got a plan to overhaul every aspect of your life everywhere. Um, I just need all of your money. Um, well, that's it. Let's talk about that for a second. The money thing. All well, right. she she has a no no. You can't argue with her about the money because I, I I can explain her very uh, well thought out idea. The Federal Reserve can extend credits to power these projects. So you can shut up now. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. All right. Well, my job is done. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I think let's, you know, OK, let's let's look at something. We'll say we'll say something practical right uh, right now. 
I think that, you know, any, any way you look at it, if the government is giving a company a subsidy to install green energy, right, it's coming out of your tax dollars. It's coming out of what we pay into the government anyway, right? That's one of the things that we're constantly doing is if we're giving a subsidy, it's effectively coming out of our annual budget. Anyway, we're just, yeah, just to be clear, the cost. A- after we're paying bureaucrats to shuffle paper around and move your money yeah, to someone else's pocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So if we're actually putting this stuff back into, say, grid development for for green energy sources, um, you know, we're not, we're not really getting the best bang for our buck. It might seem like it on some paper sources because it's, it's offset. But realistically, those costs in some places do get passed on. It's not very not very beneficial. I think if we're actually looking at, okay, let's look at reduction in carbon emissions. I think the places that have the best solar capacity should have solar. Places like Arizona, places where it's flat, where you're going to get as many hours a day out of that solar as you possibly can, and where it's cheap to install and cheap to maintain. I was going to say, there's a maintenance problem with solar too, though, right? Which is like, you get dust storms, you get breakage, you get coverage. Um, It's actually, it's not too bad. Now, here's the thing. If the people who put solar on your house, um, you know, that we actually did a full study when we were doing the electrical grids and we concluded that single home solar is not the way to go because of those reasons. They do get dirty. They do lose efficiency. There's no guarantee you're going to have them in the proper orientation, especially if you're putting them on the roof. And then depending on where you are, your your efficiency is all over the place. In very centrally located, large scale areas where you can do things at economies of scale, it actually works out pretty well. Okay. Um, Because you can have one or two guys that go through and their daily sweep is to dust off anything that's on the panels. Cleaning robots or whatever, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very simple, right? Like the the maintenance on one of those things is is relatively minimal, right? Even the maintenance on a wind system is, they say, about 3% of the cost per year is what most people are budgeting. Not bad. Once once these things are up and running, they do well. Um, Solar panels have about approximately the same life cycle, maybe a little bit better depending on the panel. Um, but realistically, like it is good in certain areas, and in those areas now, where when it can you amortize be the cost there, though, what's the what's the kilowatt hour cost of something like that? You know, I was going to run those numbers before I started this, and I didn't get a chance. That's okay. Um, I've, I've got another so. question about solar panels um, because I read a little bit about. Um, Wind turbines. So let me let, let me just uh, tell people what I read here. I a lot of times we don't think about or people don't talk about the costs to manufacture the environmental impact actually of manufacturing some of this stuff. And there's something to me. There's something um, uh, classist and 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 elitist about not caring about that stuff because it doesn't affect us. It affects poor people in other countries. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, Neodymium, it's a rare earth uh, metal. It's used to make the magnets in wind turbines. Um, Extracting neodymium from the earth is a very dirty process, and it has horrible environmental impacts. Um, And in Inner Mongolia, poor area, there's a vast man-made lake of poison that is (laughs) a result of extracting neodymium, and it's continuing to grow, and it's causing problems. And I'm going to quote from an article, hidden out of sight behind smoke-shrouded factories, uh, factory complexes in the city of Baotou and patrolled by platoons of security guards lies a five mile wide tailing lake. It has killed farmland for miles around, made thousands of people ill, and put one of China's key waterways in jeopardy. The vast hissing cauldron of chemicals is the dumping ground for seven million tons a year are mined uh, uh, rare earth, uh, 
of mined rare earth after it has been doused in acid and chemicals and processed through red hot furnaces to extract its components. So I feel like there's there's the environmental impact of manufacturing. And these wind turbines last for, what would you say, 20 years? So you got to do this at least every 20 years because you got to replace it. Um, and my understanding is, you know, you know well, lithium ion batteries, I know, have similar problems because of yep. uh, the, the lithium. And uh, I assume solar panels have similar problems as well. This is not, it's, you know, when you're in America, it feels like, um, you know, you go to the store and you buy your iPhone or you buy your piece of technology and you don't think about the, the nasty chemical environmental impacts that getting those rare earth metals out of the earth uh, are having to poor people somewhere else. And you can just, you know, I, I think a, a key um, attribute of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is only looking at the kind of uh, the facade of what's going on. As long as there's a facade of empathy, we don't have to look behind anything else. And so she can pretend that she's caring. Look how caring I am. I care about the environment. I, look, I have a facade of empathy. But really, uh, we just don't talk about all the other crap that's hurting people's lives. We don't talk about how uh, power uh, increased cost of power will will cost lives around the world, and we don't talk about the impact of of any of these other technologies on people who aren't, you know, Americans, basically. Yeah, I mean, so it does come back to you know, realistically, at the end of the day, change changing behavior is going to be one of the biggest things that will affect you know affect us at the end of the day, right? So consuming less energy as a whole will be better for us. I mean, that's the same thing, like you know. Um, obviously simple things, right? If you're switching from, you know, incandescent to LED bulbs in your house, right? You're saving a massive amount in terms of energy that you need to use. You know, right now we're just wasteful in the fact that if you leave lights on all day in your house, it might cost you an additional $3 at the end of the month. You're never going, most people wouldn't even think twice about it. Right. Um, so because I mean, power change, subsidized for a lot of people, right? Well, Getting back to what we said, it's not yeah. a free market anymore, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's the problem is that, you know, if it is a, a free market, you know, these costs, yes, the costs would go up. Yes, that would hurt us in the short term. You would have to invest in, you know, fixing everything up. And I, you know, to your point, like, okay, well, who's going to invest? How is it going to be? It's like, well, the reality is that it's being invested in whether we like it or not. Right. And people will jump the gun and come up with very creative solutions on how to, you know, to get your home efficiency score up simply because you have to. Right. You know, um, and that's going to be a really, that's going to be a really interesting thing. It will actually, and if she's talking about actually how you'd create new jobs too, the industry will be born right out of that. We'll need an entire new breed of engineers. We'll need an entire new breed of problem solvers. We'll need an entire breed of, you know, everything, especially if there can be money to be made on it. I mean, yeah, you know, somebody you will know, do there's, it. There's this interesting thing with, um, so I, I looked this up, um, Neither Senator Ed Markey or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, from what I can tell online, neither one of them has ever run a business. Um, and there's something that strikes me as, as kind of rich when, when people who've never run a business um, write a document like this and act like they know how to – they're going to – they're going to put together a team and they, they're going to run this. They know how to invest in what kind of technologies to invest in, how to, how to um, upgrade infrastructure, all the things that need to be done. They, they can take care of it. We just have to uh, give them the power to run our lives and they'll be able to, to handle all this. And 
you know, the reality is, you know, one of the beautiful things about a free market is uh, it's inherently extremely complex to solve these problems. And a free market lets people try, fail, come up with solutions that don't work and then do work. And people buy the things that are working and don't buy the, the things that aren't working. And, you know, people don't talk about this anymore, but one of the things that I used to hear from this crowd, and it's the same kind of crowd, uh, AOC is just a new millennial version of this crowd, is they used to say, oh, well, we have to switch away from fossil fuels because we're going to run out. And uh, that's just a fundamentally economically ignorant argument. Um, we will never run out of oil ever because the last barrel of oil will be too expensive for anyone to buy. Um, that's how the free market, that's how supply and demand works. Things slow, you know, supply slowly dries up and therefore it gets more expensive. And that's what incentivizes alternatives. And, you know, maybe, Lou, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe wind is right in some cases and solar in other cases or geothermal in other cases. But it's uh, it's a very personal decision and it depends on what you need the energy for and how important it is to you. And, you know, how much do you want to leave that light on? Maybe just switching to LED and keeping fossil fuels is fine for you. Um this idea that there's like a bunch of smart people in Washington, which is already known to not be true. Uh, and they're going to then roll out how the rest of us should use our energy, which is a fundamental well, part of living is to me, it just strikes me as ridiculous. Well, I think, I think here's the thing is that you can actually, when we talk about this, I think in many ways it sounds impractical, right? But I mean, a really practical example is I have a younger brother who is, um, you know, currently living out of a custom RV uh, school bus, right? And he's got 400 watts of solar on the top of that that'll charge a little bit of batteries that he has in the car. And for most of it, they're using it for light and to charge their laptops for some Netflix. You know, that's it, right? And that is sufficient. But the moment a lot of us enter into a bigger home or into a bigger thing, our consumption levels go through the absolute roof. So, you know, reduction and looking at it from a, you know, philosophical standpoint is actually quite viable. Now, the only thing is at a national scale, how do we accomplish that? And that becomes, you know, that becomes a challenge. One of the ways to not accomplish it is by trying to create incredible amounts of regulation. In fact, reducing regulation and then reducing the um, subsidies, that go out there are more likely to spur the market in the positive direction than just throwing it down the throats anyway. You know, people, they'll react much quicker when they see their wallet being hurt than they will, you know, just assuming that they can kind of go out that, oh, it's all right, power will be 10 cents a kilowatt hour for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Right, And, and and that's the thing, we're not even really in a free market with power, right? It's subsidized and so, we use it because it's subsidized and no one cares. And, you know, before well, you I know, got married, I left lights on all the time. My wife doesn't let me. She turns all the lights off. She follows me around the house and turns lights off uh, because she grew up in China where they <laughs> probably a harder life than I did. I just leave lights on. But, you know, it's because of the power. I mean, even in California, it's it's not as expensive. It's not that bad. Right. If I leave a light on, like you said, all month cost me a couple bucks. Eh, right. Um, but maybe that's not the way it should be the market's kind of been distorted here. Um, yeah, and, that is and, a, that's, that's a hundred percent true. And yeah, I, I, think, I don't want to, I don't want to, I, you know, I mentioned this at the beginning, this whole, like we have too many like cars on the road too. Cause she plans also to get rid of cars that are using fossil fuels too. Like that's her, you know, I, it struck me. I, I know people are sometimes 
sometimes the the kind of when people talk about libertarianism, for example, which I, I'm not saying you're a libertarian, but people talk about libertarianism, they'll say like, well, who will build the roads? Like that's a question. Like who will build the roads if not for the government? It's not clear to me that the government building the roads was a good idea in the first place because we certainly have less um, mass transit than we probably would otherwise. It, it allowed for suburban sprawl in a way that wouldn't have happened uh, without some of these roads. I mean, we we look at the environment that we're in now and we think that this is the optimal thing, but I, it's not clear to me that the roads were a great idea. We, we're certainly shipping goods back and forth in trucks all the time. Maybe that wouldn't happen as much. That's that's a big carbon footprint. It's wasting a lot of fossil fuels. It's contributing to the problem. Um, so this this idea that like I don't I'm there's something weird about this idea that like someone else is just going to plan how the whole system should work. When you let people kind of do it themselves, the supply chains evolve, things evolve, and they evolve in an efficient way. And people pay for the actual costs of things, and you are incentivized to keep costs down for the things that are expensive. Yeah, I mean, that is that is certainly true. And, you know, the the crazy thing is that, you know, I ran some, always kind of looking at economic models. And one of the things that I've run is that, you know, every time you look at, you know, everything from here, I mean, we could do a whole engineering section on how to, you know, the numbers behind pretty much everything from social security through, you know, and onward. And the reality is that actually fixing this scenario most of the time involves, you know, some level of, I don't want to call it investment, but it will involve some short term pain until stabilization can kind of occur and technology picks up for it. Right now, the technology is not advancing at the rate that it needs to be advanced on because there's no demand for it. Right. So, you know, if there's no demand for the technology, nobody's going to bother to create it. I mean, half the time, like, you know, I've looked at over the years, um, you know, people talking about different and, you know, fuel cell technologies for portables and not that any of that's probably relevant and it was wacky even at the time or um, neighborhood based you know, small nuclear pods and all these type of things that created small localized grids. There've been a lot of these technologies that have come out there, but they never really took off because why would you, if you can constantly purchase subsidized energy power off the grid and not have to work at it? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the other thing is a lot of that stuff. Sometimes I think, um, people who aren't, who haven't ever been engineers or haven't ever run a business. Um, so especially politicians, they may look at stuff and they may say, well, they, they see that things are invented and developed um, at some pace in the past. And they, they, they don't have any idea really of what it takes to develop the next thing. And so they try and they try and have innovation through edict. And that generally doesn't work. Like you shall have technology that does this, does this by this year like maybe someone can cobble that together, but it doesn't mean it's a good idea and it doesn't mean it's efficient. Um, and when instead you kind of let market forces push the, push the most efficient solutions out, you know, will it take five years to develop a more efficient battery or 10 years or 20 years? I don't know. Maybe that's not the route that will go. Maybe something else will come along. Um, well, but this think, idea I that think... you can like you by edict demand, like invent this and make it good is, is uh, well, arrogant and naive. Well, I, you know, okay, here's the thing. I do agree with goal setting, right? Like even you and I would agree that in business, if you don't set goals on something or else, you, you might never, you might never get there, right? You got to push to something. Yeah, right? but there's a difference, Lou, yeah, right? Because I was going to say like, that, yeah. That's like someone else setting your business's goals. Like, right. that's, that's, 
<laughs> so that, that oh, was actually going to be my point is that sorry. Yeah. The, big, the bigger problem actually with the government setting goals, I think, in that respect is that you're forced to get into a position where you have to constantly throw money at it to see if that will solve it. Right. So that's right. that's the that's the problem is you need this done and you have to constantly, constantly push money in. But if you are in private enterprise, not only do you look to accomplish the goal, but you look to accomplish the goal on a budget. And I think that's right. that's the benefit because no, I don't know any investor that's going to, you know, keep throwing money at something, um, you know, after they, you know, after they see a couple of failures. Right. Like they're going to go go look at hey what's what's next or where else is this is this going on yeah or you and, look at the broader picture and you're like well why are we doing this thing well it's because we want this other meta goal maybe we don't have to have this goal maybe we need to abandon it and, or shift it to this other thing and that will meet the meta goal right yeah for sure i mean it's a very it's a very hard thing i would say though you know even as kind of a where this is back to the goals part setting reasonable and achievable goals you know, if, if, like I said, if as a country, we did make some level of mandate that we were going to reduce our carbon footprint by so much, you know, you'd start by looking at the industries that you can really have an impact on. And if energy production can meet that, you know, goal over the next couple of years, maybe that's where you start. And I don't think you need to, it's like the shotgun approach, throwing money everywhere isn't a result for success, but taking a very finite pinpoint, you know, area and saying, okay, hey, let's, Develop a little bit here where this is really efficient. Let's develop a little bit here where it's not, where places that, you know, frankly don't have access to any of this energy thing, instead of trying to create, you know, that's where you look at like, okay, well, let's look at nuclear power. Let's look at things that, you know, can really sustain um, in this area. And I think the other benefit is nuclear power, I, in my opinion, is not the end all, right? It's not, hey, let's implement this. We're good. Um, to right. me, that is a solution for the next 40 to 50 years to kind of staunch the bleeding, as it were. You right. know, that's the way that's the way that I consider it. I think it buys you time um, to develop new technologies, especially while you're doing reduction. But I think there, it, it would not make uh, sense to continue doing it on fossil fuel burning tech, you know, things right now. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the answer might be a lot more. So, so simple answers actually don't sit well with politicians because there's nothing to manage. Um, and there's no power that you gain through having simple answers. But, I mean, you draw, you just brought up a couple of really simple things that actually involve, both of them actually involve reduction of, of government power. Um, one would be like, hey, how about we reduce and eventually eliminate the subsidies for these things that we think are bad? like fossil fuels. Okay. That would have a huge impact. Okay. It would. How about we reduce the, the, the red tape and regulation for getting a, a nuclear power plant up and running. Okay. Just those two things could have a massive impact over time. Um, yep. the, the, the reason I think that they would be opposed is uh, they don't, they don't lead to uh, bigger departments and more bureaucrats and well. More that's fine. There, I mean, there is, bit, I guess. right. And, and there are also problems with the fact that like, if we did reduce subsidies, say tomorrow on something like petroleum or whatever else it is, right. All of a sudden, every industry gets that much more expensive because their business models are built off of the way things are right, right. now. Right. So there's, but you could, there, you know, you could say, here's the plan over this period of time, we're going to reduce it by this much. And then like, they'll kind of know, and they have some times to plan. Yeah. And, 
and adapt. I actually think, and, you know. and if you also do it in very specific areas, right? Like areas that can be influenced on a mass scale without necessarily disrupting major segments of the population. Like for one, okay, let's not reduce maybe say natural gas production because it is one of the most widely used things for heating and particularly a lot of homes and cold areas. And instead we say, all right, let's make it a goal that, you know, hey, let's reduce natural gas-based power plants, right? It'll bring up electricity costs, but that won't have that much effect on a home in one of those particular areas because they're predominantly heating off of gas. Right. So it would yeah. kind of balance out economically. You might see a five or ten dollar raise in your electric bill. But let's say you went straight to electric power. Well, electric heat is nowhere near as efficient, you know, or cost right. effective as, as gas heat is. So if you balance those things very logically, like, you know, you start making changes. Yes, you might incur a little bit of cost increase on your electric, but it's not going to be the same thing as wiping out the predominant, you know, energy source that you need to run your home, you know. So, so Lou, aside from all the things that she wants to do, can we just talk about the time frame here? Because you've had experience rolling out systems um, here. And, you know, again, I'm just going to you know, move America to 100% clean and renewable energy. This is in 10 years. Um, so in 10 years, she wants to do that. She wants to retrofit every building in America. Uh, I bet it looks like she wants to get rid of airplanes, but maybe not within okay. 10 years. Well, I don't know how she wants to get from one place to another quickly, but... Uh, let's uh, let's care. say let's say there there's one good thing that would come out of it if she actually try to do this. Okay. You'd have to have a massive amount of deregulation. So hmm. let's give why? an example. Why? Tell me why. Well, let's let's give an example. San Francisco, for for example. Um, my girlfriend's been an architect, and one of the biggest things is the complaint is the permitting process for building or changing just about anything in any house in San Francisco, right? And these were all built in the you know, from 1920 to 1960, 1970, 1980, they are not energy efficient homes, right? Right. Imagine the permitting process and all of that that would have to be paid or done or sped up to actually, you, you couldn't do it. You'd have to deregulate the building industry in order to do it in a place like San Francisco, right? And at the same time, if you're deregulating all of these industries to even make that possible, that is actually in its own right, somewhat of a good thing. You could sure. probably see more construction going on. So let's put it this way. If you were even going to attempt it, you'd have to cut all the red tape, right? Like, so the government would have to say, all right, we're retrofitting your house. Well, they'd have to go against their own policies in their own cities in order to even make that possible, right? I, I, a new construction build for an enterprise build in San Francisco, the permitting process takes five years alone. Right. Um, right. The other thing, you know, your labor rates will shoot up through the roof because you'll have a massive all of a sudden demand, um, you know, so you're going to have to counter a lot of these, uh, a lot of these things, frankly. So that's the good thing that could happen, right, is if you even try to implement something like this, they would, it, there's no way it would get done in 10 years because they'd be stubbing their own toes against their own regulation trying to get it done. Um, I don't know how it would even be possible, but if what somebody about you did that many wind turbines in 10 years, is that possible? Uh, yeah, probably. Okay. I don't mean to, I don't mean to say that in like a, in no, a dismissive I don't way, know. But I'm asking, I don't know how reasonable this is. I've never, I've never done this. I mean, I don't know the the lead time to make many, but I, if there's anything that history has taught us, um, you know, 
we pretty much rebuilt the entire Pacific fleet after the attack at Pearl Harbor and not true. a lot of time. So There's a lot of money uh, and energy, you can ramp up stuff. And she actually cites uh, World War II. She cites airplane production. Uh, yeah, that's 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 kind of you know that's kind of why I did bring that up. Uh, this yeah. would be like the equivalent of like interstellar battle I, war three. No, I think it's <laughs> fine. I mean, I don't think we need to like we don't have to poke holes in stuff that's accurate yeah, in yeah. here. I mean, okay, so that that could maybe be done. Um, I will point out that that's not a good thing, right? I mean, uh, yeah. Spending money, quickly, well, the other that wasn't is, that wasn't cheap, and it wasn't good for America to have the Pacific fleet destroyed. Well, yeah, and here's the other thing, though. We, what we did do in um, in World War II is we also have to, we were basically producing goods for sale, right? Prior to our prior to our entry in the war, we were more or less producing goods for other people because their facilities in Europe were destroyed. So we right. were the only manufacturing power. And that's how we had a very good post-war boom because, frankly, most of these places were decimated. We were the ones who ha- still had manufacturing capabilities. So that's realistically... Now yeah. it's in, now we need China to build these for us. Well, I mean, they are, right? Like, they are building things for us right, right that's now. That's what I mean, yeah. Um, I don't, after, you know, I don't doubt that... Uh, China and many of the other places are they're capable, I would say, if you were to if you were gonna place an order, uh just right. like when I placed orders for anything else in China, believe me, they figure a way to get it They'll done. They'll say yes and make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You, a blade might fall off a couple of times a year, but <laughs> it's but that's okay. It, well, any the toxic lake might expand, but that's okay. They'll get yeah, it uh, I mean, they'll get it done. Yeah, so I think it, it's not unreasonable. But the bigger red flag in the way is, like I said, even if you were going to do this in San Francisco, the most liberal of all cities in the world that would be down for a plan like this, it, there's a way they could even get past their own regulation to make it happen. Okay. Well, she does claim also just uh, um, the speed of investment required will be massive. And she basically says uh, companies couldn't do this as fast as the government. Only the government can do this fast, which is quickly, which is why uh, we need the government to do it. Um, and then let me just, she also says, I, I mentioned this before, but she says, even if every billionaire, every, every billionaire and company, I don't know if she means billion dollar company, but I think she just says every company, even if every billionaire and company came together and were willing to pour all their resources at their disposal into this investment, the aggregate value of the investments they could make would not be sufficient. So that's a that's a statement. That's that's um that's a lot. I don't know, Lou. So look, we've been uh, we've we've gone through this. I mean, there's not really a lot to go through here technically. Um, this is this doesn't read much to me like a plan or any kind of real critiquable outline. This is really just a bunch of things that she wishes well right you know what we'll and pops and ice cream machines in every yeah. garage like okay we will we so can do here, it here, here's the thing actually if i if i were her and this is what i truly believed and and i'll say actually and i even as an engine as an engineer and somebody who does actually like you know feel strongly about the climate here here would be my suggestion yep you go and find a city you know, that is capable of actually doing this and actually experiment with it. 
right? You'd have, I mean, sounds kind of like what a business person might do. Oh, so. exactly. Well, that is what I'm mean, a business person, you know, but that would be, that would, you'd have to test bed how quickly you could run the implementations, how fast you could do it, what the net effects would be. And at the end of the day, you'd have, and the thing is, heck, you could encourage a business to do it. If you deregulated a particular market and let the free, and let, and let people bid on the opportunity to come in and say, reshape a town or an electric grid or, I mean, heck, entire California electric grid is going to be up for sale. And now. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, anyone, anyone of our listeners who's got some extra money, yeah, PG&E is going to be for sale. <laughs> PG&E is uh, not worth anything about negative $30 billion right now. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. You, I think for the government to find out a way to partner with free enterprise and where the governments give would be deregulation and then free market would allow to, you know, to buy into, you know, reforming a city. And let's say that it is, you know, we're going to deregulate and we're going to make the or, you know, make an investment in, you know, make, retrofitting all these homes. You be able to study how much, how effective it truly is. Personally, I think that after you did this, you're probably still going to come with the consideration that's like, all right, we need to make energy cheaper and more efficient ways like nuclear and doing that is going to be your most optimal bet at the end of the day, but yep. hell try it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, Lou, you know, I, uh, it's hard for me to take a plan like, like this, or it's hard to take any of this seriously when, um, it's all, the answer is always more government, bigger government, more control, less freedom, more intrusion, big, you know, more departments. The answer is never, Hey, we should stop spending so much freaking money. Uh, and in, and like spending money that we don't have, uh, and and uh, and subsidizing stuff like, you know, th- this can be taken seriously when 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 she starts to consider uh, free market and less government answers to some of these problems and show that she's actually considered them because it to me this just looks like, I mean honestly this is communism I, I'm not being hyperbolic this is basically communism I mean. maybe it's more fascism because fascism has the authoritarian government and ostensible private businesses. So um, maybe this is more fascism than communism, but it's definitely an authoritarian, like this is an authoritarian, like centrally planned government. And I'm just going to, to end here. I just want to reread. She's promising a job with a family sustaining wage, family and medical leave vacations and retirement security for everyone. High-quality education, including higher education and trade schools, clean air and water and access to nature, healthy food, high-quality health care. These are all rights that she wants to uh, – safe, affordable, adequate housing, economic environment, free of monopolies, and my favorite, economic security for all who are unable or unwilling to work. So th- this isn't about climate change. This isn't about – this isn't like a well thought out plan for actually accomplishing anything with respect to the environment or climate change. This is a power grab as far as I can tell. I mean, that's my, is that, that's basically intersectionality, but now played out to um, climate issues and every other issue that we need to uh, take care of, that they want to take yeah, care of. I mean, it's just, uh, it's if, just we, if we bundle, if we bundle climate change fear with, with racial issues, then we'll have a winning proposal. Well, she did. I mean, we didn't get into some of this stuff, but she uses terms like economic justice and blah, 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 which I'm not sure what that means. She also uh, promises that, uh, in five to 10 years, she will promote justice and equity by, this is what she's gonna do. She's gonna stop current and prevent future and repair historic oppression. 
of frontline. So it's like she's going to stop oppression in five or ten. It's just like I'm so confused I, about how power grids. I don't are know. Oppressive. It's so it's so naive. The whole thing is just so embarrassing. I am glad that she's embarrassed enough to take it down off of her website. That's a good sign. Maybe uh, maybe she's learning to have uh, a sense of shame. But um, what a mess. Any any final thoughts uh, that you've got for people? No, I think that about covers it. All right. Well, Lou, um, look, I really appreciate you joining. Um, I know this was an impromptu thing. You and I were just kind of like, hey, let's uh, let's jump on. <laughs> let's jump on a, a stream and talk about this stuff. So I appreciate you joining. Um, and I'm sure we'll have you back to talk about some other stuff in the future. But this was kind of fun. So. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks, everybody. Alrighty. Well, thanks, Lou. Everyone, you can follow us at uh, Unsafe Show Co. on Twitter. You can go to unsa- sorry, Unsafe Space Co. on Twitter. I'm uh, remembering an old handle we had. Unsafe Space Co. on Twitter. You can go to unsafespace.co uh, to support the show. And here on YouTube at Unsafe Space. Just follow us on Unsafe Space. Please like, share, um, subscribe. Tell us stuff you want to hear about. Um, we're going to probably start doing more of these one-off, uh, you know, talk about interesting topics, sometimes um, not planned. So please let us know what kind of stuff you would like to hear. So thanks, everyone. Take care.